there, Green Future Growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And let's get growing. Be in trouble there. Oh. Okay, we're good there, too. Okay, here we go. Okay. All right, we're on. Welcome to the Organic Gardener Podcast. I am super excited. It's Tuesday, February 5th, 2019. Uh, what's Michelle Obama or is it Robin Roberts? Somebody has the serene in 2019 hashtag. So I'm feeling pretty serene today in Montana. It finally got cold. We've got some snow and I have an awesome rock star millennial on the line. So I get to do a great podcast. I know you're going to love him. He is giving a presentation on the learning circle, weed management and intensive veggie production. He's from Grow Pittsburgh. Um, so he's just got tons of stuff to tell us about. So welcome to the show, Nick Lebecki. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for sharing with us. So do you want to tell listeners a little bit about yourself and Grow Pittsburgh? And Sure. Uh, so let's see. Right now I am the Braddock Farm Manager. Uh, oh, yeah. And Braddock Farm. Yeah, Braddock Farm, um, which is a project of Grow Pittsburgh, which is a urban agricultural nonprofit. Um, so we, we do a lot of things. There's a, a lot of school garden um, work that folks do. There's also uh, a lot of, we help people start community gardens all around the county, actually. And another part is we have two urban farms. So currently I'm managing the Braddock Farm, and that's a, about an acre or so in the borough of Braddock, which is a town just right outside of Pittsburgh with uh, the last remaining steel mill in the Pittsburgh area, right next door <laughs> to, the, to the farm actually um, it looks so, really cool in the photos on the website because you see like that urban it's kind of like the brooklyn grange where you see that urban background industrial mm -hmm. background and then there's this cool farm yeah we're, we're definitely a stop for people looking for a good photograph with the uh a uh the, the farm with the the mill in the background very striking yeah yeah uh so, well, I always kind of start at the show about your very first gardening experience. Like, were you a kid? Were you an adult already? Like, what do you remember growing and who were you with? Okay, yeah. So, my first gardening memory is probably um, visiting my grandfather and grandmother up in uh, northern Pennsylvania. Uh, they had a huge garden. Um growing all sorts of things in there and fruit trees and giant sunflowers and all that sort of thing. And as a kid, I was just really excited about that. And um, at our home, I, my grandmother came and helped us put together our first big garden. And I don't know, I must have been like five or six or so at the time. So do you have brothers so I, and sisters? I do. Yeah. So we, we were all cool. involved in the garden at first. And then at eventually just became me and my younger brother oh. um, and we're still growing together um as of today <laughs> really yeah, oh we, that was so we, exciting we, yeah we we um uh about an hour north of the city we have a, a little farm that we grow uh, uh i guess i guess various like uh subsistence crops like uh corn and potatoes and dry beans things like that yeah so, so been for a while. 
so tell us about that. Like, how does a millennial get interested in growing for like uh, a career or like as an adult or like where did where did that come? I guess it came from when you were growing up. Yeah, I had that um, as a back. I guess my background that that was as a as a child, it was a uh, a thing I liked to do in my free time, just hang out in the garden in the backyard. And um, when when I, I first moved to Pittsburgh to go to, to school, I, I, I didn't have that in my life, and I, I really missed it. Um, so as soon as I could manage it, I got gardening again. And um, yeah, so I, I had had a gardens for a couple of years, got um, some urban uh, community gardens going. And um, let's see, I think at, at some point it was a, uh, I remember working at a grocery store and not being very satisfied with my life. Like, oh, what am I gonna do? And I was, I've always been really into um, like homesteading and um, trying to grow all your own food, preserve it and all that sorts of things. So I decided to try to work on a farm. So I quit my job and I uh, got a job on a, on a farm in central Pennsylvania. And then uh, pretty much been doing that ever since. Um, it was a big step up from gardening to working on a six-acre vegetable farm. But really, um, yeah, just what I wanted to do. Um, really excited about it. Um, loved watching the plants grow. Loved being able to take it back and cook with it. And... Yeah, I worked on farms for a couple of years and then started my first farm in uh, 2012. Um, yeah, uh, had an urban farm with um, a couple of friends in the city, and we did that for a year. And then um, so, yeah, someone had an urban farm that hadn't been used in a little bit, so they let us start up there, and they had like all the equipment that we needed. It was a really great way to get a taste of uh doing our own thing and after that season was I was sold on it so started a, a larger farm um, in the suburbs after that and, uh, did that for a couple of years until I started working at Grow Pittsburgh so I know my listeners are wondering because a lot of my listeners are like going through the stages that we're going through my husband and I like his goal has always been to grow enough food for us to eat so we do can pretty much mm -hmm. like supplement our produce bill or like not have a produce bill and we've been growing and so we're going through those growing pains of like going from and we just have like a little third of an acre right now that I call like mm -hmm. the mini farm like what do you have any like tips or suggestions for people that are going to make that change of going to become like a full-time farmer becoming like selling for a market or those kind of things yeah um i found it really really valuable just to work for somebody else who is already doing it uh there's so many things you don't even think of and um the, the that the, the farmer that you work for um has thought of all of them already um and you pick up so much just from that um and uh like whether working or like uh, doing work trade for a farmer, I think these are all like the most valuable insights. There's so many little things that you don't even think to ask or like what's one example of something you wouldn't think to ask that you learned that you were surprised? Um, so uh, 
There's, a, there's, oh, there's so many. Um, just like the logistics of having produce for a market, like, um, sure. Just like, like having, like knowing when, when to harvest it before your market, depending on what day of the week or time of day your market is. Like, do I do it the day before? Do I do that morning? Um, how, how you wash everything that's in an efficient way that's presentable at a market stand. Um, I think at first I did like bunches of uh, herbs like cilantro and then at the market stand they just wilt into uh, within an hour in the middle of the summer you know. So what <laughs> so do you like, do like, about Oh maybe that? I should go in a plastic bag. So something like that I would just put in a plastic bag. Um, but in, the, in the, one of the most significant things I, I picked up was um, working for someone who was able to have like a consistent offering um, yeah. as much as possible throughout the season. Like for instance, like having lettuce the whole season or uh, carrots the whole season. Um, I, I think uh, most customers are used to the grocery store where they have everything all the time. Yeah. So um, that's their expectation. And so you, know, you always see this, like people are disappointed. You don't have uh tomatoes in may or whatever but i mean that's maybe beyond our capacity here in pennsylvania but um so is that how do you sell your do you use a csa model or do you go to the market or restaurants or like all three or like what what model do you follow Mm -hmm. um i've done i've done all three in the past Uh, right now at braddock farm our uh our, our biggest goal is to grow produce for the uh a town of Braddock. Um, there's no grocery store here, so we want to provide fresh produce for folks here. So we have a farm stand, and we sell to some stores here in the town as well. Um, so that's uh, the uh, main um, goal for the, the vegetable farm. And then we also uh, want to, you know, use, use our space to fundraise for our um, our efforts of of uh, providing produce for the for the neighborhood, so we uh, also sell to restaurants. So those are our uh, two outlets that we do here in, in Braddock, and we're we're members of a a uh, farmers co-op um, called Penn's Corner here in uh, Western Pennsylvania. So we um, they handle the ordering and the logistics of that, and we just uh, just uh, drop everything off at the warehouse, and they they handle the logistics which is pretty nice for us. But then do you get lower prices that way, but it's worth it because they handle the logistics? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You you, you get a lower price. Wholesale prices instead of retail prices. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true. Um, So that's okay because it's, you know, you're putting them with other people and like, I don't know. I've heard people, some people talk about that being a benefit for them. Yeah, it it can be nice. It um depends on how you do it. So like the I think like uh planning for a market stand versus planning for wholesale, I think uh, they're very different and it took me a while to figure that out. Um a market you want it to be pretty diverse and have a little bit of everything. Whereas uh if you do that growing for wholesale, you're going to stretch yourself pretty thin for thin margins. So we try to focus on just a handful of crops. Um, for wholesale that we do um, as as many of a, as we can. So 
So we, we grow things like salad and, and arugula. Little higher price. Yeah, what's your temperature like there in Pittsburgh? I would think it's pretty cold, like it is here in Montana. Like, are you growing okay. salad right now in February? Uh, we're we're not. Um, so weather here in Pennsylvania is kind of all over the place usually. <laughs> <laughs> so last week it was about um, we had a couple of days of highs in the single digits, and today, um, well, highs in the 50s. Yesterday, I think it was in the mid 60s. Oh my goodness. So it's, it's pretty all over the place. I think it's going to moderate a little bit. It should be like 30s and 40s for highs. I think we're going to see that more next week. Sure. It's our uh, our our uh, maple sugaring season start has has begun, I suppose. <laughs> so, how did you learn how to grow organically? Like was that from when you were working on other farms or like is that how your grandmother did it or where did that piece mm -hmm. come in? Yeah. Um, well, my grandparents were, um, they had a big compost pile and uh, my first introduction to that, I thought it was kind of a magical process. You put uh, some scraps in there and it turned into what looked like dirt. Um, when I was a kid, um, my mom had a copy of the Rodale uh, Encyclopedia of Organic Gardening. And that was a really uh, inspirational book for me. I read that when I was a kid and that was the resource this is before the internet so that was the, the resource I had for um, uh, gardening information and um, then uh, but yeah also I didn't really know what I was doing I was just reading a book <laughs> which um, either, yeah either just, just trying to figure it out on my own um, but but yeah working on a farm um, that, re that really uh, helped me um, uh, Learn, learn like the practical applications of a lot of those things. Um, like, yeah, when, when to do something about a problem, when, when does it not matter, or, and, and various things like that. Sure, that's super important. And just been learning ever since, you know? Yeah. I just finished reading, have you read Ben Hartman's The Lean Farm? Yeah, yeah, I like I that book. I just that yesterday. Yeah, it was like, I'm trying to get him to come on and do an interview with me, and I got his book out of the library, mm -hmm. and it was really full of just tons of value bombs and things to uh, really help with efficiency and productivity and so many things that I had never even thought about, because we're not at that scale yet, but as we mm -hmm. head that way, it really made me think about a lot of things. So why don't you tell us about something that did grow well this year, like what was successful at Braddock Farm? Okay, so I've been trying for a couple of years to figure out celery. Um, that's something that we struggle with in Pennsylvania. We get, it's pretty wet here usually, so we get a lot of fungal diseases. Um, that one uh, it had a, a good year with celery. Tried a couple things with that and uh, a couple different varieties um, and had really good celery for the first time. So... <laughs> I'm really excited about that because that's uh, one I think a lot of people buy and you always see at the grocery store, but you don't often see at the farm stands. So that, that was pretty exciting for me. Um, we also had a really good, um, we did red, yellow, orange bell peppers and we, we planted those in the high tunnel to get a jump on the season. And um, those did really well. And I like doing for farm stands, I like doing different colors. So we had a, so that, that really turned our farm stand into more of a rainbow, having all those colors 
and, and the green bell peppers all next to each other. So that looked out really nice. And um, let's see, we, oh, I also, I, I tried out um, transplanting green beans, which I had never done before. So I did that last year and I think it worked really well. They transplant really well. And that kind of, we, we plant green beans every couple weeks um, at the farm to have them the whole season. And uh, that just uh, it buys us like two or three extra weeks per bed by transplanting them. Um, so uh, that worked really well. And we also, we planted them at the time that we usually direct sow them. So we had green beans um, three or four weeks earlier than we normally would. So that, that was pretty exciting as well. I mean, like it was interesting. So I went through all our data and like made a list of all the days Mike planted his lettuce and like peas. Cause those are the crops that pretty much like go in the ground as soon as the soil mm -hmm. can be worked. And I was surprised to see in almost 20 years, almost every date was in the month of April. There were only two years where he started at the very last of March. And most of them were right around April 10th to April 14th. And like, I like, I didn't go in there. I thought they were going to be all over the place. Cause I thought, you know, it depends on the snow and this and that, but I was really surprised to see how much actually happened just right then, basically right around the 10th to the 14th in there. So, um, so how did that, so that went good. Like you planted the beans in containers and then put them in. Cause like, I remember G Martin Portier, the first time he told me, that they transplanted beets because it gave them the three and i just thought that just sounded mm -hmm. but it sounds like it's working for you too yeah yeah um pr pretty excited about that um just like transplanting things when you can just to give yourself a little bit more space because uh we're, we're on uh about an acre and um uh, it's uh trying to cycle through crops can really help so um if I can get one or two more crops following um, the first crop, it, in, in theory, it kind of like doubles or triples your your farm, the size sure. of it by, by doing that. Yeah. The big problem we have is just, it seems like we're lucky if we can get beans, like if he puts them out as soon as they can to form beans mm. before they're going to freeze. But we don't have a lot okay. of high tunnels or low tunnels or any of that kind of mm -hmm. thing. And we can get a frost pretty early here like end oh of august, yeah what, when, what, end of august oh wow yeah that's that's usually that's about september 7th earlier than that. what he figures in august okay. you're probably like you could throw a sheet over it and it'll probably make it you know it's not going to drop so cold as we have i mean he has and he says he doesn't grow um pole beans at all anymore because he loses those so often mm -hmm. yeah we just grow the bush beans you do yeah they, they can they can be a little faster too um it depends on the variety yeah sure and, so uh, how about they're, they're kind of like... a pain to pick though <laughs> right what, that's what they're... i always it's said. easier to pick the pole beans for um, sure uh yeah those bush beans i'm like man <laughs> those must be million dollar beans by the time you pick them yeah snaps them and cans them and everything and it's mm -hmm. uh <clears throat> and then also just because they're down on the ground uh anyway yeah. how about something you're excited to try different next year that you haven't done before is there something new you're gonna try yeah um i like trying things out every year um so i guess uh, something that we're trying right now is overwintered strawberries 
So this is the thing I heard about where you, you plant them in the fall. So for us, that's like September. And then you cover them with some row cover. And then uh, they, they're supposed to produce the first June and supposed to have pretty good yield. So I'm excited about that. We uh, have them in the ground and we'll, we'll see uh, if it works. Um, and uh, I guess along those lines, um, we um, want to try to have a, like as, as many crops as we can as early as possible. So f for us, um, that, that means uh, trying to have more things in June. So he, our, our last frost date is like middle of May, something like that. So we, we have a couple of high tunnels we can use to try to get a, a jump on the season. So for us, usually like uh, the, the June is like the, I don't want to say it's boring, but that's like the least uh, exciting time of the farm stand, mostly green things and radishes and stuff like that. So as much as we can add to that, um, I think the better since we're out there anyway. Um, so uh, have been have some good luck uh, recent years getting like zucchini and cucumbers earlier and earlier. Um, gonna, last year we just did the red, yellow, orange bell peppers in the high tunnel. I think we're gonna throw in some for green. So they were ready in June. We just uh, weren't picking them, uh, waiting for them to turn colors. And um, our our farm market, um, our customers want us to have more fruit. So last year we planted. Um, some blackberries and red raspberries, so they should start producing um, for this season. Um, we planted some red raspberries in our high tunnel, and from what I understand, they should have a longer picking season in there and better shelf life, because uh, for us it rains a lot here, so the high tunnel should keep the rain off of the berries so it uh, doesn't rot right when you pick it, because that's been our experience with our um, red raspberries here uh, that were growing outside is uh, they get rain on, we get the fruit flies and uh, you'd pick them and it was it was fine for, you know, snacking on, but we, we couldn't get them to market because they uh, would just turn into a pile of slime. <laughs> so hoping- um, I know that, I know I can those work those out for berries, exactly, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, that's interesting because I would not have thought of putting because raspberries are kind of like a perennial crop that's going to be there, right? And mm -hmm. putting that yeah. in a high tunnel. But I suppose you know, uh, in that kind of position, you would. And for sure, I think fruit is going to be. I think it's huge. Like one of our goals is to put in more fruit, blueberries, and we had to replant our raspberries because I, I don't know exactly what happened. Uh, after years and years of them being there, they just kind of petered mm -hmm. out two years ago. So I finally got some raspberry canes from a neighbor last year and put them in and hopefully okay. we're going to have raspberries again. And then blueberries, I saw my neighbors and was like, oh my gosh, look at your monster blueberries. And she lives less than a mile through the woods. So I'm hoping we're going to have that luck next year because fruit is like, I've been taking pictures like the <coughs> store and paying $6 a pound for strawberries that are in a plastic container that I don't want to buy, mm -hmm. you know, have no flavor. And strawberries are one of my all-time favorite things to eat. Like I found when I go to the salad bar when um, at school when I'm teaching, like that's a, my first fruit of choice. So this year I'm going to focus on raspberry and blueberries. And then the next year, strawberries is going to be my goal to put those in. So that's interesting that you planted them in the fall so they're ready for June. Mm-hmm. 
and strawberries yeah. oh, fresh grown strawberries are just so delicious they just melt in your mouth i tried some at young's farm in long island and he just like the taste was just incredible when he pulled it off that vine and been ripening in the sun there was just it was just melting your mouth so good nothing like you would get at a regular grocer so i'm sure your customers they will be delighted if you have more fruit for them yeah yeah definitely i'm i'm always look forward to strawberry season that's definitely one of my favorite fruits and um so he was telling me down there about different strawberries some that just like they bloom in june or you get them in june but then he was trying i think some other crop that was going to actually produce strawberries through almost the whole summer they were hoping because i think their customers mm -hmm. are like yours they want more fruit yeah yeah those ever bearing ones um i've tried those before and um i, I think I think it might work better on like a bigger farm, but uh, in in my, in my experience, like you get a little bit at a time. So I think it, it'd be great for like a definitely like a backyard garden too. Um, but it felt more like a, a snacking thing, like a, just a little bit at a time. Yeah, so well, that's what like my mom's always on my case about why don't we sell more food at produce? And I just like that's the perfect way to explain it. Like we have some percent, but we just we don't have that consistent supply to take the town. Like mm -hmm. you know, once a month we'll have enough to fill like a couple of CSA baskets would be all maybe. It was like we're just not there yet. Like between space and work and everything, like I feel like we're doing good. Sure. Just being able to grow enough food for us is huge something we've been working on for 20 years and we're just getting there like even like we have potatoes now that we're struggling with because we had them in the pump house and then something got into them so now my husband brought them in the house and now it's like you got to eat them before they overheat like where are you going to store them anyway how about something that didn't work the way you thought it was gonna or something that didn't come out so well this season hmm let's see um we i uh every couple of years i try do uh some broccoli as long as i can and uh yeah oh boy that didn't work out so well so we, we had a couple weeks of good broccoli um it was something that a lot of people said that they really wanted us to have broccoli and then uh, no one really bought it too uh oh, but we really? also didn't I thought have you were gonna say it got too hot just oh yeah it got it got too hot for it um for sure i tried to grow some hotter weather ones um so the, our broccoli didn't do so well and um we i i think i sold about um just a handful of units over the whole season so um, i'm actually just not going to grow it this year um because uh you know uh, sales weren't there um a uh another thing like we we did um so i did uh, okra i transplanted some okra mm. and um it did really well at first. Um, we had really early okra, um, did great. Um, but then it got about two feet tall and then it just kind of stopped growing. Um, I, I'm used to okra getting like seven feet tall. So that was a bit of a surprise. So I think I'm gonna um, do some transplanted and some direct so this coming season. Um, so I get two rounds of it. They'll be a little bit apart from each other. And I'm hoping that the direct sow has a, maybe its root system can get a little bit bigger and uh, maybe it'll do a little better. We'll see about that. And um, so does uh, it need to be yeah. seven feet tall for you to get enough pieces out of it? Or is that um, just like, no, what it was too, like, was your yield less or? 
just yeah it the yield definitely suffered um we it was still like okay like we had like some we had we were able to bring it to market every week until the season was over but it we we just could have sold more um we had a lot, a lot of demand for okra and um we definitely could have had more um and uh yeah, the other half the plants just like stopped growing um and uh just you know struggled and um i'm thinking like uh, so some plants have tap roots and some don't okra something that has like a tap root and when you transplant it you kind of damage the root um so i was thinking along those lines like maybe that's why it uh, stopped at a certain point so could either do like i think doing a like two or three rounds um, separated by a couple of weeks could be good, whether transplanted or direct sow. Um, and then maybe, maybe that would just uh, spread out the uh, the damage whenever it gets to that point. Um, another thing is uh, so, so cucumbers. We had a, a great cucumber year and then a bad and a bad cucumber year <laughs> at the same time. It was really great. Um, we tried to have cucumbers the whole season, and in our part of the world it's really hard to do August and September like later in the season um, we uh, have a bug a cucumber beetle that spreads the um, bacterial wilt so they uh, we plant them every couple of weeks because they keep getting killed off and uh, then usually later in the season we get uh, downy mildew blows in and kills it and finishes them off so that's always a struggle, just trying to manage that. And uh, I don't know if I if I have cucumbers in September, I consider myself really lucky. But um, we did, we definitely had a couple breaks in the in the season that um, uh, people were disappointed when we didn't have celery. Uh, I mean cucumbers. So trying to uh, keep on top of that is always a, a hard thing. Sure. Uh, and you're not the first person that said that on my show that it's hard to mm -hmm. uh, that the like they end up like doing it like you're saying like having the rotations because once the crop is ruined they just kind of pull it out or get rid of it instead of trying to like combat some kind of pest or something disease. So this is kind yeah. of the end of the show where I talk like kind of like a lightning round maybe in other shows that we call getting to the root of things so like. Do you have okay. a least favorite activity to do in the garden? Something you got to force yourself to do out there or on the farm? Oh, yeah. So let's see. I guess I'm, I'm not getting any younger. And um, <laughs> things like uh, stress the back I'm less excited about. Um, I guess uh, we, we, we hire in younger people on the, on the farm from the neighborhood to work. Um, so I've uh, been uh, uh pushing more of the uh, the the bending kind of task over to the younger people, like picking green beans, things like that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's le less exciting things for me. Well, to yeah. truth be told, I'm kind of glad to hear you say that, because that is like one of my least favorite jobs, for sure, in the garden. Like, I'll be out there. Mike, if he can get me out there for 20 minutes, he's lucky. And he'll spend like two, three hours, because uh -huh. when they're ready, they got to come in. Uh, yeah. On the flip side, what's your favorite activity to do in the garden? Oh, I have, I'm, I mostly, I enjoy more tasks than I don't like, I guess. Um, I, I really like uh, 
I really like harvesting. Um, I really like the, like this time of year, we're uh, just doing a lot of planning for the season, figuring everything out. And uh, so I really like this time of year for that. Just um, got all my maps and seed catalogs together and coming up with the, the plan for the year. Um, yeah, and just, uh, you know, seeing what worked out last year, what didn't, tweaking the plans, tweaking some methods, maybe trying new things. It's all pretty exciting. And then, um, uh, I guess, I, just like a, a, a random task that I just really like is, is I actually like hand weeding. Um, as a management uh, strategy, I try to do a lot of hoeing so I don't have to hand weed, but I actually really, because hand weeding takes so long, um, but I actually really enjoy hand weeding. Um, but I don't get to do as much as I used to. I delegate that task out, but and uh, yeah, so, so, some people don't like it, but I I, I find it really relaxing, just uh, like hand weeding um, carrots or something like that. I was gonna ask what crop. Uh, yeah. Sure. Well, you know, I feel like a lot of people, if they say weeding, it's like everybody enjoys that meditative like weeding sitting especially in the garden next to like a deep bed where you're not like on the ground and it's a little more comfortable and you can just kind of get in that zone but I feel like a lot of people say like that hot August like where you're overwhelmed and things have gotten out of control is where a lot of people um that part's not as much fun so I can totally relate sure. to that how about what's the best garden advice you've ever received Nick Hmm. Um, I, I heard this from, I guess it was like the assistant farm manager for the first farm I ever worked on. And uh, he said this a lot. Um, he said that uh, all farmers think all other farmers are crazy. And uh, I, I really like that sentiment um, that, yeah, you know, just among farmers, like one, one will say they're doing something and the other one will think they're, they're crazy for doing that. And it just, uh, I, I take that to mean that like, um, well, there's probably a lot of wrong ways to do things. There's not one right way. And um, everyone figures out their own system for themselves, and that's, and that's fine. I think things, people do things in a lot of different ways, and that works, it just works out. Cool. I think that's super inspiring. I, I know, I'm sure listeners are enjoying this as much as I am, and they're going to get, you're dropping just lots of golden seeds for people that um, can apply if they want to become a market farmer or in their garden themselves. Because like the number one thing, my listeners, I just put out a survey and pretty much everybody agreed. The thing they want to know most is how to grow more produce in the smallest amount of space. Uh, they want to be more productive and more, or not necessarily the smallest amount of space, but they just want to be more productive. They want to get more yield for the time and energy that they're putting into their garden. And I think, you know, most people feel that way mm -hmm. because it is a lot of work and you want to get, you know, the best from your, and I think you've given us a lot of tips for that. Anyway, oh, speaking along those lines, what's your favorite tool? Like if you had to move and could only take one tool with you, what could you not live without? Hmm. Um, <clears throat> I really like a uh, a good hoe, so I, I I use um I think it's called like a gooseneck or a swan neck hoe. I've heard a million names for it, it uh or a half moon hoe, and uh, I like to keep that really sharp. And I like it because it's about oh what is it three three or so inches wide, and then you tilt it on its side, and it's only about an inch wide, and you can 
do a lot of uh, different type of hoeing in a lot of different situations with that one. And um, yeah, so I, I, I use that a lot. And if I keep on top of the hoeing, I don't have to do as much hand weeding, but um, I guess it's my second favorite kind of weeding, uh, using the hoe. <laughs> sure. Uh... How about, I always feel like the other thing I like about weeding is kind of like the teacher and me, like clean, to me, it's like cleaning the chalkboard and like, you know, erasing it, making your whiteboard all nice and neat at the end of the day or whatever, you know, it makes, I like the way it makes your beds look when you're done. Yeah, I don't always definitely. necessarily like it when I'm doing it, but I, I do like the end product for sure. How about yeah, a favorite, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's one of the, the nicest things about farming and gardening is uh at the end of the day, you, it looks like you did something. and You can enjoy enjoy the fruits of your labor pretty immediately. <laughs> uh, and I'm totally spoiled. My husband does most of it, so I just mostly get to oh, okay. it. But <laughs> I do enjoy it. Like, I've been, like, working on this book in this garden course that's mostly based on pictures that we've done here over the last 20 years and just, like, so many memories going back and just he's really mm. just made it a beautiful place here. Anyway, what's your favorite recipe you like to cook or eat from the garden? Oh boy. Um, oh, I have so many. I, I really, uh, really like cooking all the vegetables. Um, let's see. Um, trying to think of some, some gems. Um, oh, there's, oh, where do you start? Uh, I guess one, one, one thing I really like is, um, uh, tomato and corn soup. So it's like a tomato soup. And then I just throw, uh, sweet corn in, inside of it. And, uh, that's really great. Um, I during the season I'm I'm often kind of busy, so I don't get to do as much exciting cooking as I like. Um, so it turns out that one of my favorite things is um, a BLT sandwich. <laughs> with you are our, not the first tomatoes. person to say that on the show. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fast and easy to make. Uh, I, I I've been um, getting into growing uh, sweet onions, mm -hmm. so. Uh, putting some onion on it and uh, a nice tomato and I don't always have bacon or time for bacon so I make a, a butter lettuce and tomato sandwich I can still call it a BLT and that's that's a pretty good substitute too <laughs> um, excellent but I also just like like I grilling think got some, um, like I never heard of a sweet onion on there that might be like a new uh, oh. new thing you got invented there Oh yeah, it's it's really nice. I really like the the sweet onions. Um, and uh, during during the season, like if I if I do have some time, I like to just get the, the get the grill out and just grill everything. I mean, just cook all the vegetables on the grill. I think that's always just good. Um, what is it like? Uh, oh yeah, rat, ratatouille. That's a nice summertime dish. Just grill. Um, all the little parts of summer. Tomato. I, I like to grill tomatoes, eggplant, peppers, onions, and just chop them all up, mix them together, and that's pretty nice too. Sure. How about a favorite internet resource? Like, do you find a place that you like to surf on the web? Um, let's see. So for when I when I have a question, like I I just do like a search for it. Um, I there's a lot of things come up, and it's hard to know like what is a trustworthy word resource so i i try as i um, to like narrow it down to like extension agencies so like um different like like a lot, a lot of states have um uh, land-grant universities and those can be really great resources um 
uh, I, I often find myself reading like Penn State and Cornell's uh, websites. Um, they, they have a lot of great resources, both for farmers and for gardeners as, as well. Sure. Yeah. Uh, how about a favorite reading book or a magazine you can recommend? Um, for magazines, um, I like Growing for Market is a great one. Um, I just finally oh, ordered that. Like, oh, it's great. You like it. I know. I've been wanting to order it because like Lynn Benzinski, I think is that her name or like that, that mm -hmm. originally did it for years. It was like one of, is one of my biggest inspirations and I've wanted to order it and haven't. And I finally broke down last week and was like, all right, we're going to try this. Oh yeah. That one, that's a, it's a really great magazine. It has um, a new editor now. His name is Andrew, I think. And he, uh, I think yeah. he's like Chelsea Green or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, another magazine I like is it's called a uh, Vegetable Growers News. It's um, oh. so I, I I grow organically, and that's kind of like a mainstream conventional produce grower magazine. They didn't they touch on organic in there a bit too, but I, I just uh, find it interesting. I, I always learn something from the, from them. Um, so I, I I like to I, I like that magazine. Well, that's important that you're always learning something in every issue. So, mm -hmm. yeah. so do you have any business advice for listeners about how to like maybe sell extra produce or very first get started in the industry of going to market? Mm. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one because it it um I'm I'm learning that I mean as as I get older I I'm learning that I have less free time than I used to <laughs> somehow. Um, so I guess it depends on where you are in uh in life and wh what time kind of time you have um it's like when when i was younger it, it was uh fine to you know to start a business and start doing like a weekly farmers market or csa um and that can take up a lot of time um but uh with, with less time it feels like it might be a good idea just to or especially if you're if you're new and you have less time like maybe just focus on um uh, like one outlet, like if you can partner with like one restaurant or, um, or if you can just grow like one or two crops, um, you know, everyone loves corn and sweet, sweet corn and tomatoes and uh, could be a nice thing for like a roadside stand just to get started. I think that's the hardest part is just getting started. So just doing something and then it, it's a lot easier to add on to what you're already doing. If you can just pick a small, small way to get started. Yeah, just doing something. Okay, well, here's my doozy of a final question. Nick, if there's one change you would like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? Hmm. Yeah, that's a big question. Uh, <laughs> there's there's a lot of answers to that. Um, I I think if I if I could just narrow it down to just one thing, um, I think uh, to me like the most important thing is just to like connect people to nature and to form some sort of relationship with the natural world, because I I feel like uh, when if we have a relationship, then we can value it and. Uh, that's like key to everything. Um, uh, 
I feel like we're we're so disconnected from the the natural world that um, I feel like it's it's it, it's easy for um, to not even know what we're missing or what we're losing because we don't even know what's there in the first place. So it's like build that relationship with 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 nature, whatever it is. Um, I think gardening is a great way. Um, you can feed yourself and get to know plants and uh, the seasons and the world around us. And um, yeah, just be be connected to where you are and the what what makes sense there. Um, it's really interesting, like learning lessons from the climate where I'm at, uh, what I can grow here, what I can't grow here, what I have to do to try to grow certain things, um, what our challenges are. So um, I feel like, and then just being out there, for me, like I learned about the birds, I learned about the weather, uh, learn about the uh, what flowers and leaves out at what times. Um, so then uh, these things become familiar and important to me. And then I care about them and uh i think that's that's really important um i think like uh we 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 uh just just naturally um humans we uh give everything like a personality we we think uh humanize everything around us and i think that's uh kind of a, a actually really important to do with the natural world like treat uh the plants like they're people because uh they they can do a lot on their own. Like they can, I plant them and they grow them, but I gotta, I gotta take care of them. And uh, they feed me and I take care of them. And we, we have a, a real relationship. It's mutually beneficial. And um, I think that's the key to, uh, you know, that, uh, keeping our, uh, our, uh, our way of life in the long run um, is uh, just building that relationship that's mutually beneficial for us in the natural world. Cause uh, if it's, if it's not beneficial for both, it's, it uh, couldn't, it probably won't work out well for either of us. Well, that's why this is my favorite question of the show. And those were just amazing answers. Do I dare ask Nick, are you like attached? Cause I'll bet there's like girls out there like, I want to marry this guy. <laughs> that was such a perfect answer. And just, I think like, I call my listeners green future growers because I feel like my show is more about like, we're all interested in growing a greener future. And just what you said is so important. And just, I could come up with like a million memes just in that one answer. Like that was just um, really eloquent and uh, perfect. Um, it's so true it's so interesting because like i read about pittsburgh i don't know whenever like the steel mill like everybody left and shifted and like pittsburgh was like and they somehow like like i just like to me you're like the inspirational city of our country because there was this huge article about them building up healthcare and investing in technology and healthcare and like isn't pittsburgh like one of the biggest um, like, like next to the Mayo Clinic, if you need healthcare in the world, like you have a huge school that teaches people how to be doctors and just like, it's like the head of where healthcare and technology kind of meets in the world. And I just love the way they took that and they were like, well, you know, steel mills are leaving and we're going to invest in this. And then, I don't know, that was the article I read and I've always kind of like loved Pittsburgh because of that since then felt like I wish we could invest more in technology to improve 
our planet and our country would follow that. We can do this instead of constantly be stuck in this mindset of there's nothing we can do. Oh, well, we're, you know, stuck with what we've got instead of being innovative and, and building those relationships and caring. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tricky too. Cause I, I think um, there, there has been a lot of, uh, um, I guess, I guess interest in the technology and the um, uh, healthcare sector here. Um, but uh, I, I, I feel like a lot, yeah, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of folks in Pittsburgh are um, outside of that whole system and it's not the easiest thing to get a job in either. Um, whereas like back in the day, the steel mill, like anybody in, in theory could get a job there. But um, now uh, these newer sectors, you need a lot of degrees and uh, expensive education to get a job in. So it's, it's, uh, um, there's, there, you know, there's definitely some, some benefits, like there's more, um, there's some jobs here for that and those are good paying jobs and that's great. But, um, you know, not everybody, um, able to get a job in those sectors, unfortunately. Hmm, that's interesting, but that's kind of what our country is like. I feel like all over the place, like they keep praising this low unemployment rate, but yet I mm -hmm. feel that, um, there's still a struggle to find a decent job in our country in a big way in a lot of areas uh Definitely. and that's probably like you know i might have read that article before you were even born <laughs> truth be told it, oh. was, it was quite a while ago so um, oh i don't i don't think so i think it was there uh <laughs> um yeah yeah they've been talking about that for a while like there's yeah there's like in uh and the you know, interesting part about it is what you're doing by building this healthy nutritious food for people i mean that's really ultimately like one of the biggest things we can do for healthcare, like what you're doing is almost more important in a lot of ways than anything. I mean, certainly people are sick, but you know, I feel like a lot of disease in our country comes from our lack of access to healthy, nutritious food. And I often wonder like, you know, how much value am I getting out of the strawberry that I'm putting in my mouth? And you, here you are growing by hand, doing all this hard work to create fresh strawberries for communities. And then isn't a big part of Grove Pittsburgh, like teaching kids, like school gardens and getting, mm -hmm. that's something about building gardens in the beginning, community gardens. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely a, a goal of ours is to help uh, people feel empowered to start a garden, um, it's a great way to take control of your own life and your own health. Um, and, and, and also, also like just save some money too, to, you know, by growing a garden. Um, so we, we do a lot of workshops for adults. Um, we, we have a high school program, high schoolers come out and work on the farms and then, yeah, we have a whole department just to, um, help start school gardens and, um, do uh, some school curriculum as well. So trying to get all the age, all, all the age ranges, um, uh, trying to get, uh, grow food for the communities that we're in and, um, yeah, help, uh, and, and empower people to grow their own food where we can. Yeah. Awesome. Well, do you have like an inspirational tip or quote to help motivate listeners to reach into the dirt and start their own garden? Not that you haven't like dropped a million golden seeds. And if you want to skip this question, we can, but if you had something mm. that you really wanted to share or like a quote that you love. Let's or see, I, it doesn't have to. 
okay i'm drawing a blank on a on a quote but uh i, I guess i don't know some someone this is maybe an unrelated quote to gardening but someone uh said that the uh the secret is to begin and i think that's a, a great way to look at gardening or thinking about farming it's like the hardest part is just starting so i know what i was gonna say something. Yeah. that you were talking about is funny because so like my big goal for the last month has been to like grow an herb in my windowsill because <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. the first chapter of my book is like talks about like all right let's get an herb growing and i am struggling to keep those things alive because i don't know if it's because like i was never actually a mom like never had a baby in my house myself that i struggle so hard like my husband's constantly like water you need to keep the dirt moist like when the seeds before they even germinate you need to keep them moist and then like as they're growing like it's been two three weeks now like yesterday i finally transplanted them and just you have a natural sense for nurturing and it and it just the whole way you connected that in your answer about the um you know change building a relationship with people like i guess i'm struggling to keep my herbs alive i did transplant two three i don't know a few things i mean it's kind of working but when i first started my podcast i used to joke that i could barely keep like a geranium or a basil plant alive like i had no oh. i have <laughs> since in these four years learned a lot yeah my husband's really the gardener at my house and I, okay. i've had some successes and done some things but i'm definitely struggling in the taking care of my little baby herbs department <laughs> Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm terrible at house plants. I I I, <laughs> I struggle to keep those alive. <laughs> For some reason, it's easier when it's outside because I guess that uh, an outdoor plant it's not all up to me. I got um, nature, the weather as a as a partner on keeping things alive. <laughs> Whereas in, in indoors, it's all up to me. And so. Yep, That's for me, it works best. Like the one that can sit on the kitchen window where like when I'm dumping my leftover water from the night before, it gets watered all the time. But everything else, like these herbs I've been keeping in the living room window. And so they're away from the kitchen. So they're harder. Anyway, how do listeners connect with you? Like where do they find Braddock Farm? Or do they go to Grow Pittsburgh? Or like if anybody wants to check out all this amazing work that you've been doing. Oh, um, so we have a website, um, growpittsburgh.org, and uh, they can read all about um, our organization and all the various things that we do. Um, they have pictures on the, the, all the social media things as well. Well, thanks, Nick, and you have an awesome day. All right. Thanks so much for having me. You, you too. Get your copy of the Organic Oasis Guidebook, helping you create an earth-friendly environment today. Available on Amazon. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening, and remember, grow local.